week's guest is Rob Miller, who joins us for an in-person interview. Rob currently works for the wine agency import firm and has also started his own agency, The Road Wine Imports. Rob has worked as a sommelier at some of the top restaurants in North America, and he is certified with both the International Sommelier Guild and the Court of Master Sommeliers. Make sure you check out Rob's portfolio of wines at thevineagency.ca or reach out to Rob on Instagram at rmillerwines or check the show notes as always for all the links. Enjoy the show. Back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. This is Kip. That is Dan. What's going on with you? Not too much. Just hanging out, being awesome as always. Mm -hmm. Yourself. Mm -hmm. How things go with you? Same as always. Just Wonderful. Like, you know, waking up on Monday, seeing how much money is in the accounts. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, we come. <laughs> we're, we're finally moving into holiday party season, so things should be picking up for the bar industry. If not, I'll be taking one of those toaster baths. No, perfect. <laughs> I know your wife wishes you did all the time. Yeah, so. well, sure. <laughs> it's a good way out for her. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and me. Uh, I believe I'm taking one every day before I go to work. So yeah. that's, oh, uh, that's good. That's good. I'm glad you're enjoying life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> okay, we have a great guest as always. Rob Miller is going to be joining us in just a second. Before we get to Rob, we will encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review the show. That helps us out a great deal. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can hit us up at info at the industry club or just directly DM us at uh, the industry podcast on Instagram, where you will find the wonderful artwork by Zach Hanna at zachhanna.co. He is the man who does the art. You want to hit him up for graphic arts needs. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Also, we should mention that we were just on the Bartenders podcast. That episode has just dropped. Uh, at the Mixing Glass is the name of the show. You should check them out as well. They're great. Yeah, they're they, super fun. Yeah. It's a D&D-themed podcast. That's so right. So we had to do a little bit of a 20-sided dice roll for a couple of times to bring up some questions. It was good. But we had one of the hosts on recently, and we will have one of the hosts on and the other hosts on in the future as yeah, well. So. December. In December. So check those guys out. Great podcast. I guess that's enough of this bullshit. And let's get to our guest, Rob Miller. How are you, Rob? Yeah, I'm great. For those who don't know Rob, you and I have known each other for a long time now. Rob is a sommelier. He is a wine rep. He owns his own wine agency now. You also do some outsourcing or consult. What would you call it? Consulting for lists? or yeah, Consulting, I, I generally try to. You know, just lend a hand where it's needed. Mm -hmm. If I can pitch in, you know, I don't, I don't look for consulting gigs by any stretch. Uh, but uh, Lala Social House, you know, I, I worked with uh, part of the ownership uh, previous. You know, part of it was at uh, the Cambridge Mill many years ago, so I had some connections there, and it just uh, it seemed to be a fit for me to help out with the with the wine program. Right, and so that's like kind of a good sort of side gig for you where you're, I mean, you've always got a lot of shit going on as long as I've known you, you've worked multiple jobs, but that's like kind of a side hustle for you where you can like, now I know you're just like, you look at it as like wine education, helping out friends or whatever, but you're also, it's, it's also a gig and like, so you're, you create a list for them and like for like say a new red like Lala's social house is like a newer spot it's a member's club and maybe the ownership doesn't know very much about wine but they gotta have fucking good wine there because it's a members only club so they look to someone like you to create 
or sort of handcraft a list for them? Yeah, so I know I, I contribute in terms of writing the list, but I also contribute in terms of training the staff. In fact, that, right. that's where I was right prior to here. Okay. Uh, I was doing a, a training session on Central and Southern Italy for the team. Like many people, you know, they opened at the beginning of the summer. Mm. So, like many uh, restaurants, you know, uh, less pickings, let's say, uh, less talent out there. Uh, a lot of younger staff than there were in restaurants, you know, five, ten years ago. Yeah, they're the young stuff. Yeah, so just, you know, getting a, you know, letting people understand that, hey, Cabernet Sauvignon is the name of a grape. It's really basics, but giving them, you know, the, the tools they need to succeed and be able to. It's not a super extensive list. It's not, uh, you know, while it's, it's diverse and there's some interesting, more challenging wines, you know, it's wines that will mostly people are going to recognize mm. when they come in. Uh, you know, one of the mandates was uh, they had asked for was that they ask for wines that aren't on every restaurant in the city. Mm. So we work with, I work with primarily local uh, agencies in terms of, you know, the rep is local. I think that's important. You know, if you're going to support anyone, support people that live in your city. Mm-hmm. So whether that's, you know, Dave Fady with Rogers, whether that's West Classen with all the right grapes, uh, you know, Candace Sweeney over at, uh, at Lifford, mm-hmm. try to work with people that live locally because they're going to support the place. That's that, good. That makes sense yeah. as opposed to just bringing in, oh, the newest and coolest Toronto agency, which is great, but are yeah. they going to come and support your business? Yeah, and also, I have a quick question, though, about the younger staff and, and doing the wine training sessions with them. When you're trying to like show them like more robust wines, like the Cabernet Sauvignon stuff, is that more difficult as a result? Because it's obviously their palates aren't quite used to it so much. I, I think it goes the other way, doesn't it? Like yeah. people, like when you first start drinking wine, you like that big fruit stuff oh, right. right in your face, and it's more. Or correct me if I'm wrong, but like at least in my experience, when, like as you your palate grows, you tend to gravitate more towards the lighter sort of... Um, more refreshing. More, part of that's because we get more older. More complex, and, yeah. yeah. Part of that's because <laughs> we get older and we can't handle the, <laughs> the big boozy yeah. wines that we did but in also, our, like, in our I, 20s. Like, like, a, like a Cabernet Sauvignon or like a big, like a Rioja or like some of these big, like um, even like a GSM, some of those wines like really, they, you should be pairing them with food a little bit more often as opposed to like having like a like a wine that you're just sipping on that's like a you want something lighter right yeah totally yeah. and like even today you know we one of the wines we tasted was a Brunello di Montalcino mm, which stuff. is a yeah it's a it's a great wine you know it's one of the top wines produced in Italy uh, it's 100% Sangiovese you know we're they're obviously like most restaurants in Ontario they're not in a position they're not buying 20 year old wines that are mm-hmm. mature and ready to drink they're buying you know what's released onto the market mm-hmm. so even though this wine has had you know six years of age it's angular it's acid it's tannins so for a young person you know someone in their early 20s they're like oh, holy shit this yeah. isn't you know this isn't the Malbec I drank at home the other mm-hmm. night or the Montalcino de Brut so this juicy fruity easygoing wine how do I sell this? And for me, it's you know, it's it's not necessarily about whether you like the wine, but how are you going to sell this to your guests? That's the whole fucking wow. game. And like, I I love the way that you train that because like, you do a training. Like I've done training with staff as well. Like I don't have your knowledge, but I have some. And it's like, 
trying to explain like terroir and like where the fucking grape comes from or where the more, but they don't give a fuck. They're not going to remember that. What they're going to remember is the wines they like the best. Yeah. And those, as I always say, like, okay, we're going to try some wines, figure out which one you like the best, push that wine. I don't care. Like that's what you're going to do anyway. And totally. Yeah. And even, you know, even today, you know, uh, it was some grapes they wouldn't be familiar with, like Falangina from Campania as an example. Um, you know, even Brunello di Montalcino. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're in your 20s, early 20s, you're probably not drinking a lot of Brunello. It's out of your no. price. Now. You're <laughs> yeah. literally starting in the 60s, 70s, and up. You know, if you are, then hit me up. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you're doing that and you're, you're 21, then yeah. hey, let's, let's, let's talk yeah. together, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's about, you know, it's about giving them a little bit, you know, it's it's not about knowing, you know, how long this has been aged and what, right. how long, you know, what does this wine, even, even talking about taste of a wine, well, I might taste dried cherries, mm-hmm. and you taste something else. So if right. if I you know if you're a young server and you start talking about taste to a guest, you're immediately creating a barrier between you and them because if they don't taste that, then you've got to disconnect right away. Do you find that it also works the other way sometimes, where it's overly suggestive? Like if you were to tell me I taste this, then I will try the wine again, and somehow I'm tasting oh, the same. The like, power of suggestion—it's crazy, crazy, right? But yeah. that, it takes a—it takes a knowledge level. Yeah. You know, if you're a 22-year-old server and you're, sure. you're serving a you know a, a 47-year-old male who knows a lot about wine, I did air quotes there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you might not have the confidence to pull that yeah. off, right? Yeah. So it's more important to know. Hey, know the grape, know where it's from, and maybe a little bit, maybe a story about the producer. That's that's fun and mm. unique. So when I was um, trying to open Sugar Run, I was working at a bar called Rich Uncle for a hot minute while mm. I was trying to get it open. It I was forgot after, about yeah, that. I was yeah, after, you were there, that's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, oh man. I sold Rabbit. We've known each other for a while. Yeah. Probably. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you came into the train there because you were doing consulting there. Yeah. Uh, you had done sort the list for ish. them sort of whatever but you did come and do a training session there and like a lot of the people who worked there had zero knowledge I had some not as much as you again but like I love the way you did it because you had like the little I don't even what you call them like the little vials of like this like train pe- right. training yeah. people's um how to smell shit and what do they smell when they smell it and it was like okay that is actually lemon that is like uh, a flower or whatever but there was little vials that you were to smell that's right that was I I thought it was such I don't know if that's something that's common in because I didn't take as many courses as you obviously like if that's common in the wine education thing but or it was just something you did but I thought it was super valuable for like people who didn't know anything yeah, it's, I think you need to, you know, you really need to break it down. Wine is a very complex subject. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I took my first wine course in 1999, and I'm, I'm still enrolled in wine courses to this day. It's crazy, It's not right? something that you ever, you know, even if you're a master of wine or a master sommelier, you don't know everything about wine. You know, you pass an exam at a certain mm-hmm. point, but there's... You know, whether it's history, you know, whether it's art, whether it's geography, science, so on and so forth. And even, you know, even this bottle of wine that we're enjoying right now. Yeah, tell us about it. Well, yeah, and like, but even this bottle of wine, uh, which is the Urgle Brothers Zinfandel, it's a wine from Contra Costa uh, in, uh, in California. Available at the Road Wines Import. Oh, yeah, available <laughs> at the Road Wine Imports. Uh, so the, the company that I own with my partner, Megan Ridgeway. 
you know, even a wine like this, you know, we're tasting it tonight, but if we don't, uh, that doesn't mean we know the wine. No. You know, if we taste this wine in a year, a year and a half, no. you know, if you were to buy a case, unfortunately, one of the challenges with importing wine in Ontario is that for me to sell this wine to you, you have to buy a case of 12. Right. I can't just tell you, even though you maybe only want two or three bottles, that's just how it is. Uh, you know, one of the one of the pros of, or at least the the uh, the positives of the pandemic is that it's allowed restaurants the opportunity for bottle shops, so yeah. that they can just set up. Uh, the challenge is there's not a lot of people that have done it that well. Uh, well, it's hard because, like, we've tried to do it, and, like, people just don't have it in their brains yet that they're going to buy a super expensive wine, like, that the, I have to mark it up for a certain price, yeah. out the door of my bar when they can just walk down the road to go to the LCBO. And, and buy something. And if they yeah. don't know that the wine that I'm selling them is much better than that, then why would they? Totally. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, so across North America on retail shelves, so that's anyone that's got a retail shop, and whether that, uh, you know, the U.S. has been doing bottle shops or allowed restaurants to sell uh, individuals bottles of wine way before we did, um, you know, the average markup is 25 to 28%, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound like a lot, but I think, you know, if you're buying a bottle of wine for $20, you're charging 25 to 28 mm-hmm. So you're not making a lot of money on it, but you're getting people through regularly. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's tough for people to wrap their heads, restaurateurs especially. Mm-hmm. You know, as an example, and I won't name names. Okay. <laughs> they like to stay in business. Uh-huh. Uh, but there is, so there's a producer I work with, and their wines come into the market at, uh, for restaurants, $21. And, you know, one of the most popular Toronto uh, bottle shops, restaurant restaurants called Peter Pan, the, mm-hmm. the uh, bottle shop is Peter Pantry, great selection. You know, it's a it's highly worth visiting. You know, just really smart choices. So they charge, I believe it's thirty six for the bottle. Mm-hmm. It's downtown Toronto. Your costs are a little bit more, but you're still you're not adding that much to it. It's a wine that's not available at the LCBO, uh, and it's a it's a super cool wine. And restaurants get wines at uh, you know ten percent less than uh, than retail clients do. So the retail client be t- paying twenty five. So you're not paying that much in markup. Mm-hmm. The local place in town uh, that has uh, one of those wines, and they charge over sixty dollars for right. it. It's like this is why this wine does not sell mm-hmm. for you. Hey, you need to take yourself away from that restaurant pricing mentality where three three and a half four times, you know, in some places, yeah. but to say three times uh, is is the norm. You're not, it's it's a retail game you're playing now. Right, and getting your head around that has been difficult, I think, for all of us a little bit, because we were never allowed to do it. No, and then it's now, new. now that we're allowed to do it, it's getting your head around that notion that, like... Thank you. Like, for me, for instance, we have bottles that we sell in the bar and I'm like you're paying for the ambience you're paying for so I can pay Completely. my so so I can pay my staff you're paying like totally for awesome. me to pay my hydro bill etc oh. etc et Amazon, Amazon table yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like but when they're walking out the door with it it needs to be significantly cheaper like yeah. that yeah. And you want, but you also you want that foot traffic through mm. right you want people to be like hey 
you know, F the L's. Oh, we can say fuck the L's. Yeah, absolutely. This is a this is a safe space, I'm right? All, Who's listening to this? I need to make a lot of edits one episode. Let's talk yeah. about that. With all my fucking heart, fuck the L C D L. But people, you know, there's you know especially after the pandemic, I think we're up at like 320 different importing agencies or something. There's a lot of wine that's not available at the LCBO. So, you know, if you're creating a bottle shop, you can have some really cool stuff. But if you want people to come in and buy those wines, they need to be enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's a huge, and I, you know, this has been topic conversation with a number of just uh, not just other agents, but uh, but friends and the like, people in the industry over the last few weeks. There's a a let's say it's a it's a private club golf club circuit. Mm-hmm. So whether it's like you know the London Hunt Club, London Club, Westmount, et cetera, et cetera. Remind me to tell you a couple of stories with London Hunt Club when we stop which, recording. <laughs> <laughs> we to stop, do we? Yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. But they're used to so uh, you know annually or twice a year they would have a wine night and all the agents would come in and you'd pour your six or seven or eight wine. And, and clients would buy, you know, you'd sell 25, 30 cases, and it was great. Everyone benefited. It was a great time. There's a big, big difference. You know, the older clientele are no longer buying cases. Mm-hmm. You know, prices have gone up also, or, or they have full sellers. Mm-hmm. The younger generation is not interested in 12 bottles of the wine. Right. Uh, they're just not, you know, whether it's because they live in condos, whether because they're just, you know, there's there's other avenues, you know, mm-hmm. there's ready to drinks, there's pre-made cocktails, there's there's marijuana. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of other avenues. And there's also, you know, there's a big kind of sobriety push. Too. Yeah, oh, yeah, so, especially with the younger generation. <laughs> screw them. But, there's <laughs> a but there is. And, I, you know, I yeah. totally get it, especially coming after a pandemic. I don't know about you guys. I'm sure I can, you know, attest to it. But we, I mean, I drank a lot. I did. Yeah. Oh, Tuesday was the new Friday, as they say. Yeah, right? I was. I was stress drinking. I gained probably 15 pounds. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I drank were, a lot more booze, right? Like every day. Like, yeah. I didn't binge drink as much during the like weekends, but no. I would have like four, five, six drinks every day. Every day. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So I, I totally understand why people are like, okay, we need to like cool our jets right and and prices have gone up mm-hmm. you know, it's not just you know it's it's labor costs around the world it's things like you know finding you know pallets to put the wine on mm-hmm. uh, it's finding glass bottles to to ship the wine on prices have increased there you know there's so Everything. many increases and then the fucking uh, climate change Climate, like there's yeah, yeah climate change you know the LCBO at the beginning of last summer added an additional 10% to their uh, freight charges which you know 10% doesn't sound like a lot but the LCBO being the LCBO puts that extra 10% markup on before they throw their 73% markup for <laughs> So that 10% is more than 10%. Yeah, yeah, like we had a lot of wines in the market for restaurants that were you know, fifteen, sixteen dollars that became nineteen, twenty dollars. And right. now they're no longer in that by the glass pour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's challenging time uh, for restaurants. It's a challenging time for, for wine producers. And it's not like, you know, the, the beer or the spirits industry where you control how much you produce. Mm. Any more beer? You, you make more beer. If you need more vodka, you make more vodka. If you need less, just 
Don't no, you're fucking aging this shit forever. It's yeah. gotta, it's, you gotta you got to grow this. You also get one chance. You yeah. get one chance a year, right? And, 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 and lots of times you fuck it up. Oh, and, and lots of times you fuck it up. That it, it gets fucked up. That's completely out of your control. It's also, like, you know, yeah. It's, yeah, it depends on what Mother Nature gave you. That's what I mean, yeah. Right? Like, so yeah. it's not, you know, it's a very different industry. There's definitely a lot less money made. You know, the old adage of, you know, the easiest way to, to make a million dollars in the wine industry is to start with 10. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I mean that yeah. it completely holds true. Well, like, I mean, you, I, can, you I, cannot own a winery unless you are already independently wealthy. Like it's not reasonable, right? So like I, I was up in uh, Niagara on the Lake uh, earlier this year, and I was talking to Ilya from Leaning Post, yeah. and he was like, you know, like not complaining, just talking about like what's happened to like and he also makes wine for good earth and other places right but like yeah. he and was Ilya's just, great he's yeah. awesome Lenny posts a great he, uh, oh unbelievable support. right so um and we, and like just such a beautiful location people should check that out if you're listening um but uh so i was talking to him about it and we, like he was just like talking about like what had happened to the crops over the last year or whatever and i'm like holy fuck like i think my job is stressful and it very much is but like imagine like he's they're farmers that's, yeah. that's just it. You're yeah. farmers, right? So, I mean, there are, and, you know, uh, Ontario has its own challenges, right? They, you know, we, you know, where we, we want producers to move to our organics, meaning, you know, lesser, no herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, no chemical additions to the vineyard or, or biodynamics. But you look at the producers that can actually do it and they're, you know, they're owned by Moritaz, one of the richest right. people in Canada. So. Something has, you know, he doesn't make enough wine this year. Yeah, he's going to be, okay. be okay. Yeah. Or, or Harold Teal, at, uh, you know, who's a, a very well-known lawyer. Like, people that have money, yeah, you can afford to do that. I mean, Ontario, Niagara in particular, is situated between two very large lakes. So you've got a lot of disease pressure as a result of being that close to mm-hmm. water. So working organically as much as you want to. And if you're just a farmer, you can't just be like, oh, yeah, well, fuck it. We're not making wine this year because, you know, we had to spray. No, it's like like, that's your livelihood. That's your livelihood. There's a reason why there's no decrease in production of Miramal Rosé. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) completely. Completely. So, you know, I mean... We have seen in the Ontario industry, there's there's much more of a kind of a, the, to use the French term, lut raisonné, or the reasoned approach where you're before, you know, 25, 30 years ago, it may have been, hey, we're spraying for this May 1st, June 15th, this uh, spray is going on and we we're just spraying, uh, you know, on a, on a schedule. Now, most producers, or at least quality producers, are only spraying if they have to. Mm. So there's less chemicals being used, but it's... it's but that means that you're more area. exposed to... Nature. Yeah, well, there, really, there is, yeah. but there's ways <laughs> around that. Part of you know, a bit better education too, right over yeah. time, right? More yeah. avenues of education for that. Something like integrated pest management, as an example. So, mm, you know, what, if, explain if, that. So, integrated pest management. So, say you've got a particular. Um, You've got a particular, uh, you know, whether it's a, a viral component or an insect that's attacking, uh, you bring in the predator for it. So it might be bats in the vineyard. It might be. It's like the old lady who swallowed a fly. <laughs> so there's ways to combat it, but, you know, uh, the biggest one is, is fungal pressures in Ontario and, you know, 
there's not much you can do. It gets humid, and in, uh, in, uh, I mean, as we're all aware, it gets humid in the summertime, mm. and yeah. you know that pr- creates rot pressure, and you, you just have to spray against that. Yeah, and like there's, it's just happening all over the world, right? And climate change is such a massive thing. Like you know, all the wildfires in California, like uh, the California wine was way overpriced already. Now wait till we see what happens in five years, and like. Uh, and then you're talking about like stuff in Europe where everyone's building at elevation now because of climate change, right? You well, need, you need to be in a cooler climate. And it's not even uh, you know uh, elevation. I mean, you look at somewhere like Barolo, where historically the vineyards were southeast facing because that was going to be ripe enough for the grapes to uh, to ripen. And on the other side of the hill, you would plant Barbera or perhaps Dolcetto. Now they're planting Nebbiolo on the other side of the hill because it's getting so warm that the, the, the grapes are actually going to ripen on that side. And that's the only way they're going to because they're, they're becoming too ripe. On the, on the south, yeah. I mean, we're fucked anyways. You know? Yeah, I mean, like, whatever. Well, whatever. You, drink your, the, if you have wines in your cellar, drink them. Drink them. Right the three of drink us are going to be down. dead, so yeah. it doesn't matter. <laughs> Two of us don't have kids. Don't, so. buy wine. <laughs> don't buy wines from 20 years from now. And, yeah, unless I'm selling them. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that. Because, like, this is, uh, honestly, like, I could talk to you about this shit all day. I find it super fascinating. But we should talk about also what you're doing with the road wine imports because... Um, um, did I say that right? Road wines imports? Road wine imports, yeah. Road wine road imports, wine okay. Imports, yeah. So, uh, like, because I think what you're doing is super. First of all, I, I think I did it at the time, but now we're on a show. So congratulations for starting your own wine agency. That's awesome, man. You've been doing this for so long. Like, you've been working for The Vine. You're still working for The Vine. You've been doing that for so long. And... Uh, so much wine education. You've been working in fine dining restaurants. We should mention that you did work at Aloe, the number one restaurant in Canada for how long now? I think it was four or five years at yeah. least anyway. Yeah. So, like, you have all this fine dining experience. You got into wine, like you said, way early, way earlier than anyone I know. Mm-hmm. Like, all the other people that are sort of in the circle of, like, the super wine knowledge people in this community got in way later than you. So I think a lot of people look up to you for that reason, as they should. Um but the the one thing, uh, uh, like, you, and you've been selling for the vine for so long. I always say, like, McManus is the Rob Miller retirement plan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, people love it, and it's in every fucking bar in town. So congratulations. Mostly, for that. Yeah. mostly. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, the, the, and I've said this. Uh, I feel like a lot lately. You know, when I started working with the vine, which I think was about twelve years ago, I think there were three, maybe four people in town that were that were agents, and yeah. the last count. There was like fourteen. Oh, there's so many, there's dude. I can't even keep up with them. And like, I, like obviously, I'm never going to turn down a wine tasting. But what I've learned at my level is, I just want to, like, at the end of the day, if if I have a meeting with someone and they're just cool and like the the wine's good, and obviously the wine has to be good. That's the most important thing. But like the per, the people I'm dealing with are cool, easy to deal with, like people you create friendships with over time, and then like all the other nonsense, like the delivery and the accounting, all works out easily. That's a yeah. big thing. Like, 
then I just start narrowing it down, right? And then you're just like, I'm just going to work with these people, right? Because there's so fucking many of them now. There's so many. I mean, even myself, and I like to, you know, I'm, I'm somewhat up to date, but I, I feel like every three days, I'm like, oh, that's another agency. Oh, that's another agency. Well, try, try being in my position because they're all hitting you up. Like, it's well, like, it's like, which is good. Like, I love the wine tasting. So don't get me wrong, but like... But it's, it's also but, about what can sell in this market. Though, right. And, and I'm in a unique position at Babylon because I will sell anything and everything. And that's kind of what... you can. Yeah. You that's what can. we're trying to do, though. But you yeah. guys are in a very unique position. Uh, probably unique to, to the entire city. It is. Like, I mean, there's 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 literally two or three places, you. you know, I would say definitely uh, uh, west down at Odd Duck. Yes, now. for sure. Maybe you know, SMB. Maybe, uh, you know, SV Uptown. Um, you know, La La is different because, uh, you know, I participate in that. But, you know, if you're if you're a larger, like, say you're somewhere like the Bower Kitchen. Which they can't is a, do that. Which is, it's a wine-focused restaurant. But, you know, you you think of how many covers they'll do over the night. You know, unless you've got a dedicated sommelier that, you know, has handpicked all of their handpicked everything and knows and is there regularly. Like, that's, you need to have wines, you need to have wines in that. It doesn't make sense to have, you know, a wine from Georgia, no matter how cool it is. Their crabs aren't drinking them. No, I mean, they're, they're just not. You need to have wines like, that will mostly sell themselves or that are at least recognizable enough that uh, a staff member can jump on or a few staff members yeah. can jump on. So it's tough. I mean, we're, you know, what I, I love, I've been in the region since 2009. I opened up the Bower Kitchen. Uh, oh, you know, I, I love the region. You know, I'm from London originally, lived, uh, spent the better part of a decade in Toronto. Um, you know, I love our positioning here. It's a strong economy here. There's a lot of great things, but we're not Toronto. No, but like, and, and that's like, again, like, like, it's not to promote Babylon Sisters Wine Bar Uptown Waterloo, 23 King Street North. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say 23 <laughs> King Street North. Yes. But, but that is what we're trying to do there. So if you're into wine, like it is a unique position. But so I'm, but I, what I'm trying to get is I'm in a unique position that I can buy this shit and my general clientele will drink it because they're curious. Whereas like somewhere like Bower Kitchen, that's not what they're looking for. They just, like, they, they want, they came for a meal and they want that Cali Cab. Yeah, totally. That's totally. They, and and that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that either. And there's nothing, no. the thing is, there's nothing wrong with that either, no. right? No. It's just about, you know, and, you know, Corey, who's running their beverage program now, he's great. You know, he's actively taking some WSET classes. That's good. It's great to work with. Like, I mean, there's some, there's some knowledge there in the company. He's great. But Corey can only do so much. He's yep. out there 24 hours a day, right? And, you know, the, the challenge in a, a program like that is, you know, you want to bring in wines that you like that you think, hey, and, you know, if this is, you know, even when I opened, I bought some wines that, you know, four or five buyers later were like, Fuck, Miller, these wines are still on the list. Why did you buy this? Scourge yeah. of my existence, my friend. Yeah. I, I, as all the problems, I'm constantly fighting against my own taste. Because <laughs> yeah. I realize that i got to sell some shit to other people. It's, like, do you know how many fucking reps just come to my, uh, to taste with me? And I was like, so here's the Piedmont collection. Yeah. No, but totally. Because <laughs> they know that's but what that's, I like. And that's a, that's a challenging, yeah. you know, it's, it's a big hurdle as a wine buyer. Yeah. It's something that... You either get or you don't. You know, eventually you get to a point where you think, 
hey, these are you know these are great wines. I'm going to put them on the list. Yeah. But if you're the one who has to hand sell, them, right? And it's not even around. me; it's my staff, right? Yeah. So like, uh, so that's where I have to get that was out of my old head. And at least it's yeah. your own money. So at right. the bower, you're like, ah, it's not my money. Whatever. Yeah. Right. I'm so going to put this BC Gewurztraminer on it because sure. it's cool. I, I like it. It's cool. People, people should right? drink it. Drink yeah. this shit. People should drink it. It's amazing wine. But I get that. But like at least in my bar, I I can do that a little bit. I need to still get outside of my own head sometimes and not do it to my personal taste. But I like I can put a Gewurztraminer on the list and I'd be like, people should be educated and try this. That's kind of what we're trying to do there. It's a niche bar. You can't do that at a big chain restaurant. You can't. You can't. Uh, but anyway, the, like what I was trying to get out of this is like, so you've been doing this for a long time with the vine, and then at some at one point you decided to partner up with what's your partner's name? Uh, Megan Ridgeway. And do your own thing. We, I, I wanted to talk about the road wine imports because I always find that. When you come and taste with me in my bars, the stuff that you bring is, and the Zinfandel we just finished drinking, like always super interesting stuff. You guys have really done it. You have a short list, which I I actually appreciate. Like it's like you also work for the Vine, where their list is epic. Like it's pages and pages and pages and pages. It's, it's it, but it's not. I mean, yes, it's more like the the Vine works with about seventy wineries, uh, but we're four pages of wines. I mean, you look at. You know, I. It's not like Lifford. What? Yeah, yeah. Okay, L- so Lifford, okay. Lifford one tree dies for every year. <laughs> Priceless. So, sorry, Candace, I love you. No, they, they have lots <laughs> of shit, but, it, but it's overwhelming. So, like, when you come to me and taste the stuff from the road, I know it's very. Like, also, part of this is probably because you're just starting. Like, but you're, like, you've curated the wines very carefully, like anyone would do getting into their own agency. Like, we talked to Mary Louise Cormier last week, and same thing, started her own agency. You have to do that at the start. But as a result, I love to catch you guys at the beginning. Because your list is so, like, you can only afford to bring in so many wines, so you really have to be selective. I also think that's, I mean, for me, like, you know, the the trend, particularly in the last decade, and you see it not just with with newer importers, but older ones as well, is new, 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 bringing the new guy doing To me, that's not good business. Mm. You know, if I'm going to sign a winery, it's about building your brand over time, mm. right? And, I mean, there's always going to be new wines. There's always going to be trends. Sure. But if you're just bringing in new stuff, then, you know, the, the, the gal or the fellow I talked to five years ago that's like, hey, you know, we're selling less wine because you're – you're chasing this new unicorn or whatever wine. To me, that doesn't make sense, right? Like, I mean, the whole point of wine is you're creating relationships with right. people around the world and you're saying, hey, this is what we can do for you in the Ontario market and let's give it a try. And they're they're taking a leap of faith just to even to sign with you. Would you say that, like, and this is my um feeling about your agency is that you bring in very unique stuff it's focused on organic stuff you focus on like sometimes minority communities making wine um or maybe wholly i don't know i don't want to speak for you um but like for me and maybe it's just the relationship with babylon sisters because that's what I'm trying to do there as well. I love when you come and taste with me and I love serving your wines there because it's exactly what we're trying to do. But definitely your wines are very unique and very, they seem focused on like not not always just the 
like always the wines are on point. They're very cool. They're very like, uh, they're all delicious, but they're, you're all, there's almost like a social aspect to it as well. It is totally. Yeah. And I mean, that was the, you know, kind of the impetus for the agency. I mean, we were looking at very eco-conscious producers. You know, I think, you know, if you're in an area where you can at the very bare minimum be doing organic, you should be doing that. Like it's in, you know, no questions asked if you can do organic and not everybody can mm. there's parts of the world Niagara is an example sure. where organic is a very challenging you know, how are you going to do it you go out of business yeah, or <laughs> you have a lot of money behind you and you can afford to you know maybe not make as much in some years so there there are ways or you have the extra labor available uh, to do so but eco-conscious, I mean, we, you know, climate change, you know, is is hitting us more and more every year. If you're not farming for the future, you know, if you're not doing the best you can, you know, we work with a number of regenerative farm producers, where there's not just, you know, it's not just about uh, what your the inputs into the vineyard. But by non-tilling, as an example, there's potential to create a carbon negative. You know, I mean, this is an opportunity for, you know, if we just looked at farming alone, I mean, I know everyone's got a hard on for electric vehicles, myself included, until you look at the prices of them. <laughs> and you figure, oh, man, I've got to make sure I'm going to here today and there today. Where the where do I have to charge here and there? Look, here's my thing about that, and like I'm happy to say this right now. There's a hundred companies in the world that are responsible for ninety-seven percent of the emissions. Like me buying an electric vehicle is not going to solve that it, problem. It probably <laughs> isn't. I, it truthfully, it probably isn't. But if we looked at farming as a whole, I mean, you think of how much around the world, how much farmland there is around the world, and if we can create, you know, it's interesting. If you look at NASA photographs, um, you know, from, uh, from space, you know, uh, during the, the normal times of tilling, uh, so kind of late April or so, that is when the most carbon is released. So you look at these clouds of carbon that are coming up. So if we can figure out a way to change the farming for that, that's going that's going to have a major impact it's good. Yeah, yeah. on our future. So it's it's really you know the solution is a lot more simple. But I mean uh, you know it's not as simple when you talk about you know these massive agrochemical uh, producers that are you know you, you you drive in you know between here and Stratford and you look at you know all the different signs for different corn that's planted and who who they're getting these from. You're like, yeah, we're fucked, man. Yeah, it's farmland, but we're we're fucked because you're right. just spraying their toes on. And it's becoming such a like we were talking about earlier. It's becoming such a difficult thing to do like grow wine grow good wine on this planet because of climate change and so I, I, I think it's admirable that you work with these wineries that are trying to do the right thing like it, it, the, the percentage of impact it has Maybe not that much, but the fact that they're trying is a big deal. I think yeah. even just from an ethical standpoint, yeah. right? I mean, there's you know we've there is this huge push in towards natural wines, and you know while I, I agree with the concept natural wine, while it's not really legally defined in most places, is that nothing's been added to the wine and nothing has been taken away. Mm. Uh, and I love, you know, there's a little bit more kind of truth in advertising there because wine can be very manipulated and it's not a natural product. Right. You don't walk into the woods 
The title like a wine. You have to find, you actually actually you actually have to make but you actually have to make wine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's okay. There's there's nothing wrong with that. I've never I've never heard it described that way, but it's that's so on point. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's so it's not a natural product, but uh, so I you know, I like, you know, you you hear the term raw wine and I think that makes sense. That's better. Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, raw wine, nothing's added, but you know, there's times you need to add something to wine. Right? Also, yeah. it needs to fucking taste good because what's the it point? Needs, yeah, like, like, and, and, that's, and like, there's there are plenty of quote unquote raw wines that I've tried that I absolutely love because I like Funkin' wine, and I think that like as your palate develops, you kind of lean that way a little bit. Like, but like, I always think like Priorat's been doing that forever. Like, it's one of the funkiest like versions of wine I know about. Like, and and they don't they have not been advertised as like raw natural wine or whatever, sure. right? And, you know, the the concept of it is great, but when it gets to the consumer, the problem with wine and you know, there's two kind of you know you look at people that are getting into wine. One, you know, if you're you're in your twenties, you're getting into wine. You don't want to drink what your your older siblings or your parents drink. Same with us, right? You sure. Know, uh, you know, I grew yeah, up. Yeah, I did heroin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? My parents doing, weren't into it at all. Well, my kids aren't doing heroin. <laughs> right? He, he and about, they should. He made about half an hour before the recording. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like, you know, like, you know, the parents drank, like, you know, Levat 50 or Canadian. Sure. So yeah. they were like, all so, right, well, you know, I, I, I'm going to take Molson Gold. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, and then you know it's the younger generation with craft beer, and you yeah. know it's the same with wine. Whereas, like you know, when I was you know much younger, it was like, oh, Gruner Veltliner, this is so cool. Uh, you know, these are wines that are you know kind of on the wayside. Now it's like natural wines, mm -hmm. and a lot of it, it's not just because you don't want to drink what your parents or the previous generation did. Uh, it's you're also you're afraid you're afraid to believe in your own palate. Mm. Okay. Interesting. So there's the whole the emperor wears no clothes, right? Where people are like, "Oh, this is terroir. This is the way the wine is supposed to taste, even though it's loaded with volatile acidity, even though it's Brettanomyces, you know, even though it's you know it literally tastes like shit. It's like why the <laughs> the fuck would anyone drink this, right? Uh -huh. It's also it's a generation that grew up with kombucha, right? right. With some different flavors, so they're like, "Yeah, this is good." You know, this one I should be drinking. They're oh, like, oh I, I should be drinking this. You're like, "Oh, fucking, just say you don't like it. Just fucking right. say you don't like Yo. the wine because it smells and tastes like shit, dude." Yeah, like just and also like everyone's palate's different too, so it's also okay to be like, which, "That is not for me," which is totally yeah. fine <laughs> yeah. too, right? Like, I mean, we went through. Particularly at the end of the 1990s and early 2000s, we went through this period where more is more. I mean, you know, North America, the wine culture is really like 40 years old, right? You know, this mm. is a, we mostly grew up on, on Coca-Cola, sweeter palates. So wine as a you know wine as a beverage is a is a very new thing to the dinner table. So in the early nineties, early two thousands, you had publications like Wine Spectator. You had Robert Parker who were reviewing wines, and the wines they liked were wines that were perhaps uh, very rich and ripe, or maybe over oaked. And you know if you if you were a winemaker and you made a wine that scored in the in the nineties. You know, your neighbor's like, okay, so they did 100% uh, new oak. I'm going to do 150% new oak. Right. 
right? And more is more. More is better. Well, more that, is better. That's, that's the American way. And that's, you know, yeah. it came to, you know, and this is, you know, I don't know if it's politically correct, but I'm going to say it anyways. Uh, but, you know, there is uh, Matt Kramer who uh, writes for Wine Spectre. I believe he still does. Uh, probably, you know, I'd, over, over the years, the, the one I most respect. He wrote, you know, one of his articles was about, uh, you know, wines. You know, if you're if you were to taste a hundred Shirazes, oh, that would right? be just a great day. It's, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe, Ooh. or a hundred Cabsos. You need to think about four hundred glasses of water, but yeah, but I mean, you know, or, or whatever. You know, maybe it's a hundred yeah. people yeah. on the waters, yeah. right? Uh, and you're trying to judge judge them and score them. The one that stands out. Is the wine that's the biggest? So you know he had uh, he had referred to it at the time was the, it was the wine was the biggest tits, right? Okay, so you've got a hundred women. It's the wine with the you know the woman with the biggest tits, the one that stands out. But you know maybe that's not necessarily the best choice, right? Right? You know, is that the wine that has the most to say? Is it the most interesting? That makes sense. And I mean, you know, you can reverse that, and just to be be fair. You know, it's the guy with the biggest, let's, you know, it's 2023. It's the guy with the biggest bulbs in his jeans, right? The biggest chest pack. Yeah, but the, but the, the point you're making is, makes total sense to me because when you're trying wine or just like, there's a reason why if you're, when you're taught how to taste wine properly, you start from a certain area and move up to the bigger stuff. Because as soon as you hit the biggest wine, that's all you're going to taste. Totally. It's just like you can't taste um, Lafroig whiskey and then... Oh, and then go back and to... Then, yeah, and then go taste Johnny to, Walker. No, like, no. You're you can't, not, right? Yeah. And that's, you know, and that's the challenge, you know, anytime you see, you know, wine competitions or, or wine scores, it's like, yeah, the, the wine that stood out Maybe it wasn't the best wine. It might have been a really good wine. It's something to say that it wasn't, but it might have been the shy, more reticent wine that actually is, has a lot more character and a lot more interest that you should be kind of delving into. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's you know, wine can be you know quite personable on that level too. So there's not there's not necessarily a right answer to that, but. Wine scores and where I was going initially is that, you know, in the 90s and 2000s, when wine scores was such a big thing, the wines weren't always necessarily better than the ones that weren't getting a lower score. Right, because they just maybe had them last or whatever. Or had them, they were the biggest. Right, right? yeah, (laughs) and that's funny you say that because when you go to the LCBO and you see the ones with the scores on them, they tend to be very big wines. Totally. Yeah, yeah right. like, you know, like how often do you see like a... 89. You never see 89. 92. Yet, 92 is the one. Yeah, even, <laughs> yeah, even now. Like even now it's like if it, the wine isn't 94 enough. Like there was a point where wines, you know, when I, you know, my the early point of my career, in fact, when I first really got into wine, I was a product consultant with the LCBO. Uh, this is when I lived in Toronto. Uh, and, you know, I was, it, it was very instrumental in where I am now. I would, uh, you know, taste between three and 500 wines a month. Mm. You know, that was part of the, whether it was the vintages releases, whether it was being part of the VQA grading panel, going to tastings on my own. Like literally, it, it was a lot of wine and it wasn't, 
at that point, you know, I wasn't like, oh, this wine is this much different. It was just, you know, rote memorization. So many wines cross your palate. Eventually, you're like, oh, this is what Barolo tastes like. Oh, this is what. Right. It's almost California. a muscle memory. It was totally yeah. muscle memory. You know, and it was funny. You know, I'd, uh, I, I laugh about this all the time. I lived in Mississauga and I tasted downtown Toronto. So I'd take the GO train in. Uh, and there were so many times, you know, you taste 80 to 120 wines, you've got a little glow on. Sure. And, and there were so many times I'd take the GO train home and wake up in Hamilton. <laughs> and be like, fuck, and this is tough again, gotta go back. Do you think that the only way, uh, I think this is gonna be an obvious answer, but just for not everyone who listens to this show is specifically into wine, the only way to get to the point where you are is you just have to be tasting wine all the time. You do, and you just need to, you know, figure out what you like. Yeah. Like, it's not... And it's okay that if somebody like, like if a, a quote-unquote expert, like, say, a Rob Miller loves a specific type of wine, doesn't mean you have to love no, it. No, God, no. Because everyone's need, palate is different. Totally. You need to, you, you need to enjoy it. Like, the average wine consumer doesn't need or doesn't want to try a different wine every week. They're, right. not, they're like, okay, I just... No, I, I, I found the thing I like and this is what I'm going to drink. These are the two or three wines I like. Yeah. I don't understand them. those people, but there's also people like... I, you know, I don't either because you know, I want I want something new and unique. Because there's different. also people like to go to the same resort every vacation. Totally. And I don't understand those yeah, people Yeah, and either. I don't get those people <laughs> yeah, either, right? I want to go somewhere different. I want to, yeah. I want to like, we're only on this... But, but both so are long. okay. They're, it's totally fine. At least you're drinking wine. Hmm. At least you're drinking wine. And, you know, I mean, I work with a, a very recognizable brand. Mm. It's a big part of what I sell. It's not, you know, it's not the style of wine that I would necessarily drink. But people at least are drinking wine. Yeah. And, you know, that's a that's a big people generational People are drinking step. wine. And, like, as opposed to just drinking beer or just drinking vodka sodas, and that's always yeah. a good thing. Totally. Okay. We're gonna, you've given us so much time. It's awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll you out on, two, on this, these two questions. What is your favorite wine to drink? I just mean like, like if you had a death row wine, what okay. would it be? Yeah, it would probably be Burgundian Pinot Noir. That's a very uh, good answer. <laughs> just because it's it's generally out of my price range. Yeah. When it's great, it's you know it's it's the holy grail of wine. Right. Uh, like I, just, I, I might argue Barolo, but like you know more than no, I do. No, so. no, no, Barolo. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to pick. I mean, that's like you know you say it's like picking a favorite child. Sure. Everyone has a favorite child. Yeah. I don't care what you say. You have three kids. <laughs> one of them you really like. You don't have to say that on the show. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's true. That's yeah. just, I have one kid, so it's an easy oh, choice. Oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, it would be probably Burgundian to Pinot Noir or Champagne. I mean, I could drink champagne, good Champagne, especially Rosé Champagne. And one of my favorites Rose is, champagne. is uh, Billicard Samon. Uh, I would drink that seven days a week. But if I had to only drink one wine every day for the rest of my life. And what bad. is the grape you hate? Because we all have one. Pinotage, for sure, 100%. So okay. garbage. Even good Pinotage is shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, I've never, you know, I've tried some good Pinotage, but it's such a small percentage. Sure. Well, that's what what there's, there's, there's always a good expression of anything. There, and there's, yeah. there's a few. Like, and there's I, always I a bad expression of everything. Yeah, there's yeah. more bad expression. It's Way just more. Not, mm. um, and, you know, I don't necessarily chalk it up to the grape itself. I think there's been some viticultural issues with a lot of the production of it that's probably contributed to it. 
it's not a grape that maybe potentially in the future, but you know, I I don't have any Pinotage in my cellar. I even if you pushed me into the LCBO and I had to buy wine at the LCBO, that's not the area I'm going right. to. So for me, it would be either Barolo or Burgundy Pinot Noir, and the flip side is Carmenere. I can't. Oh, Carmenere, yeah. It's so I don't awful. know. There's there's some good Carmenere, but you got to be into that leafy greeny. Oh, I just it's just not for me. Yeah, I mean, there's and this is a palate thing, right? So yeah, yeah. and there's nothing wrong. Like there's yeah. not. It's like Chenot. You know, I like Chenot when it's well made, mm. but a lot of Chenot these days is a little bit riper and richer than it mm. used to be. Yeah. I don't like green stemmy wines. I, do, I shouldn't say that because I do like, you know, some stem inclusion Beaujolais or, or some Pinots where they're greener. It's and you can tell, yeah. yeah, but you can tell it's it's wine making. And that's a whole... That's like a they're trying other, to do it. Yeah, yeah, and that's a whole other conversation, right? Like when you can see how the wine is made, you know, there's positives to that, but there's also, if I know how the wine is made... Is that you know? Is that the right expression of terroir? I don't. I don't know the answer to that. I'm just. That's something that. Well, I, if you don't know the answer to it, then few people I know do. <laughs> yeah, is, hold on. One yeah. more second question now. Your choices in wine. How much is that related to meat eater? Because Kip's a vegetarian. Oh, are you a vegetarian? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I did that wrong for like a year and a half. How much yeah. might that apply? I've done it, to I've the, done it to for like no. 25 years and a half. Really? That long? <laughs> yeah. I, got, oh, I, I did it for a year and a half, but I had to stop because I was selling. So because I'm on the road so much, and when I did it, so this was early 2000, like 2011 or so, mm. uh, there wasn't, there's was not the options that there are now. Mm. So unless I wanted to eat Wendy's salads all the time or really prep my food for the day. <laughs> Wendy's salad. No, but I mean, like, yeah. sure, I, mean, I went to, like, what turned me was a trip to uh, Italy. Uh, and, you know, the, uh, we're at one restaurant. The first course was just spinach and cheese. And it was just like spinach and cheese, a lot of it. And then the next <laughs> course was just like five cheeses. It was like, okay, this is not good for my arteries, but whatever. And then we went to uh, Darius, is uh, a famous butcher in, um, uh, in Tuscany. Uh, we went to his restaurant where it's literally 10 courses of beef. Ooh. Beef 10 different ways. And, you know, they had some uh, crudite. They had some veggie. I'm actually okay. Uh, they had some veggies available. But, you know, if we weren't able to have brought our own I would have died of the meat sweats then. Yeah, yeah. But probably, I mean, nowadays, you know, you can go to, you know, Freshie is a great example. And I love the Freshie is one of my favorite go to if I'm somewhere and I need to stop that I didn't bring food with me. Fresh, like, there's a lot of vegetarian examples. Well, you don't have to worry about it anymore because it's like, it used to be a time, like, the only time that I ever have to Unless worry about it. Unless yeah, you travel. Unless you travel. Specifically in the southern U.S. Well, uh, or like Argentina. I mean, sure. I've been to lots of places, Costa Rica and Central America or whatever, and the, like you can find stuff to eat. Now, maybe your diet's not what you like. I always, because sometimes people will still say to me, it's like, oh, are you going to be able to find anything to eat there? I'm like, I will always be able to find something to eat. Like, it'll all be fine. Yeah. Like, the most globally, we're doing okay. And then globally, most places in the world generally eat. Heavy vegetarian. Like they'll add meat to some shit, but like, you know, like you go to Southeast Asia, it's 
it's a mostly a ve- everything's vegetarian based, and then they sometimes add meat to it, right? Like it's like it depends where you go, but like the only place is southern U.S. where it's like you go to a fucking big boy diner at the side of the road, you need to pull over. Even the salads have meat, and you can't make substitutions. Or a fat wash, yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're not you know, yeah. even the, the but, cocktail you want. But that's an interesting question. Like, do you like uh, regarding wine? Like, for me. I think we're talking about wine not food-related. Like, there are certain wines that beg for food, of well, course, but, like, we're talking... And like, but, but it might have an influence, though, too, right? Like, like I, I he's asking, do you think that, like, me being a vegetarian as opposed to being a meat-eater has an influence on my palate? It's, I'm sure it can, but it's also, like, you know, it's in some ways not... I mean, not even for myself... You know, I open the bottle of wine and I'm a cooking dinner. I'm not like, oh, I'm cooking this. This is the best wine for it. Unless it's very, very specific, right? Right. It's kind of like What about like if you're eating at a restaurant? Yeah, to, to a certain degree. I mean, like, will you, will you choose no, your like, food like, before the wine? No, no. Usually I'll look at, okay, what wine is actually decent enough to drink right. in this so place? So that's, that's how I go And that's, I'm going to yeah. do that, and then I'm just going to drink or, or eat whatever food, right? I mean, it's kind of like smoking cigarettes, right? Like, eventually your palate overcomes that. I mean, some of the best tasters I've ever known were, like, hardcore cigarette really? smokers. So, um, like, I find, I must, I don't, I just, I had a bad experience when I was 12 smoking cigarettes, and I haven't smoked cigarettes since. Really? Uh, Lucky you, man. Yeah, I know. (laughs) But I smoke cigars like a madman, right? So I... You do, which is very different. Yeah. So, But smoking cigars paired with wine and whiskey is... Can make sense. Chef's kiss. (laughs) And there's been, you know, there's there's times where... I would never say that cigarettes pair with uh, with wine, but cigars do. But cigars, yo, know, I mean, there's yeah. a, there's a different kind of a flavor component to it that it makes sense. Would mm-hmm. maybe an amarone or a richer wine, where yeah, I can I can totally see that. And, and like again, I have never been like a cigarette smoker. You have, right? Oh, I, I mean, I yeah, I smoked for the better part of 20, 25 plus oh, wow. years. Right, you still smoke or no? Wow, okay, no worries. Uh, like, we're not trying to tell you. I just didn't know. Um, no, but there, it, not when I'm drinking wine. You know, I can drink wine all, white, all night, not have any. So I guess what I'm if asking. I have, I have cocktails. Yeah, so what I'm asking, I guess I'm asking is. <laughs> I want to have a cigarette. It's weird. It's weird. Sure. As opposed it's to. Like in this conversation, would you agree that like cigars have a much more complex smoke to them? So therefore they're more. Uh, like, because like, I think like smoking a cigarette, they all taste the same, and they and they they mostly taste gross. Like, yeah, and, and, and that comes, you know, especially the first. Cigars have like beautiful flavor to them. Yeah, that's how I got into them, yeah. and, that, and that's why it's a good pairing with a glass of wine or a glass of whiskey. So, and then you know, you definitely need a more complex wine or a complex whiskey. I mean, you have to stand up to it. Yeah, it needs yeah. to be able to stand up for it. Like, right. I'm not drinking like a you know just some everyday wine. White wine with a, no. a cigar that makes no, 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 no. sense. No, so. no, you got to have like a very con- like a, you know what's good like a a pre rat and a fucking uh, oh. a Nicaraguan c- yeah, cigar. That's a, <laughs> yeah, 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 that's a good combo. All right, Rob. 
That was a great conversation. We went longer than we normally do because this was so interesting. Mm -hmm. And that says something about you as a guest. Well, I hope people listen. That's I the hope most so important thing. Yeah. Oh, well, well, help us promote it. <laughs> <laughs> I will do it again. Yeah. I'll tell my five friends and yeah. they'll tell their five no, friends. That was, uh, that was a great conversation. You gave us a lot of time. We really appreciate it. It was fun. It's always more fun in person. As much as we love our friends from around the world, it's great when when we're able to sit down and drink together and have a conversation. And once again, Rob Miller reps for The Vine, so you should check out, they have a great portfolio. The Vine Agency on, yep. on, on Insta, you can follow me at R. Miller Wines. And on Insta, it used to be a cool name, but I, I messed, I tried to change it and I messed it up on Instagram. I'll let you change it back, but just simple R. Miller Wine. If you find, in fact, you follow me at R. Miller Wines at Instagram. All right, I'll, I'll put all the links in the show notes. And, and more importantly, the road. Like, not more, I know you do business both ways, but the road, like, this is your baby. Like, uh, and I can't. Uh, like I can't speak highly of, of it enough. It's an amazing agency. The wines you bring in are fantastic. They're unusual. They're different. Like if you like for private consumers or if you're a business, hit Rob up for the road because his wines are fantastic. And thanks again, Rob. Like we've known each other forever. We finally got you on the fucking show. Mostly my fault. <laughs> my, my fault too. I mean, yeah. busy schedules yeah. and trying to figure out when we can actually sit down and do this and enjoy some wine while we're doing it. So. All right, man. Thanks again. That was great. Nice. Thanks.